Good morning. I want to know what is uh, one of your favorite pieces of art. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a painting, but it could be a painting. Uh, it could be a movie. It could be a song. It could be a book. I want to know what is one of your favorite pieces of art that has like impacted you in some way. So not like a movie that you watched last week and you thought it was really good, but like a book or a movie or a song or a piece of art, a painting that has really like affected you in some way. So I'm going to give you some time because I know some people hear the word favorite and their mind like freaks out, okay? So if that's you, I'm going to help you out, all right? I want you to pick a category. So pick your favorite uh, type of art. Is it a movie? Is it a book? Is it a song? Is it a painting? Is it a sculpture? I don't know what it is, but pick that, focus in on that, and then find your one of your favorite X, Y, or Z, movie, book, song, whatever, that has impacted you in some way. So I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about it, and then I'm going to ask you to share with your neighbor. So you actually have to share, so you better think during this 10 seconds. Take advantage, okay? All right, 10 seconds begins now. All right, now I want you to share with your neighbor. One person, and if you're online, if you're tuning in online, I want you to drop it in the chat. Share with the person uh, that you're watching with one piece of art, movie, book, song, painting, sculpture that's like affected you in some way, impacted you in some way. You guys didn't know you were going to get a second community time this morning, did you? All right, I want to hear some. I want to hear some. Shout out a couple. Uh, shout out your neighbors. I'm giving you permission to embarrass them. Shout out a couple. C.S. Lewis, an author. Good, good. What? I heard something, and then I heard a bunch of laughs. Fine, all right. Another one? Can I hear another one? Sound of music. All right, nice. All right, one more. Shout out your neighbors. Embarrass them. I want to hear it. Satan, shout it out. Declar oh, okay. Wow, that's very interesting, Tayton. I like that take on that. Uh, so one of, my, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite books is a book called uh, The Stranger. Has anyone read The Stranger? None of you. Oh, one. Okay, one of you went to high school. Everyone else didn't. All right, cool. Uh, the Stranger is by a guy named Albert Camus. Uh, it's sort of like a classic piece of literature. A lot of people have to read it in high school, at least I thought. Uh, and the famous, uh, the opening line is really famous. The opening line, uh, it goes like this. Mama, that's French for mom. He's a French writer. You didn't know you were getting a lesson in French this morning. Mama died today or yesterday maybe. I don't know. That's a crazy first line, right? It's really famous. It's like, how could you not know the day that your mom dies? And you can only imagine sort of the flavor of the rest of the book kind of picks up on a lot of different um, heavy themes, one of them being life and death, right? It's kind of there in the first line. And Camus uh, hit on this theme of life and death over and over again in his books. In fact, he had one book that was titled A Happy Death, and he profoundly stated that to be afraid of death is to be afraid of life. To be afraid of death is to be afraid of life. And Camus wasn't the only artist in the history of art to ever pick up on this theme of life and death. You see, death is kind of a key theme in a lot of our art. My guess is that in some of your favorite books or movies or song or music, there's the theme of death is somewhere in there. 
the death of a character or the future death of a character or the way that death has affected one of those characters. Death is in a lot. But why is this? Why is death so present in a lot of our art? You see, I think it's because death is something that we all experience. Death is sort of this universal language that we're able to communicate through. It fascinates us, it terrifies us, it motivates us, it inspires us, it confuses us. It's in our movies, uh, or it's in our books, like The Stranger. It's in books uh, like teen fiction, like The Fault in Our Stars. And if you're like, you didn't include The Fault in Our Stars in like a classic literature category? No, I did not, okay? It's in our movies, like timeless classics, like Stand By Me, or Million Dollar Baby, to kids' movies, like uh, Bambi, or Lion King, or Bridge to Terabithia, or Up, or Coco, or there are way too many kids' movies about death. Uh, it's in our favorite speeches, uh, Jimmy V's Never Give Up. Uh, it's in uh, Randy Posh's last lecture. Like, death is in a lot of our art. It's in a lot of the things that have impacted us because it's something that we all experience. It's something that we can all relate to. It's this universal language. See, we've been journeying through this book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, there's this character, sort of, is the teacher. And he kind of is talking about a few of the things that are just really frustrating about life and reality. They confuse us. They frustrate us. And so the first week, we talked about how the teacher talks about how everything is hevel, right? He uses this metaphor that it's there and it's gone and nothing seems to make sense. And then last week, Torn did a great job talking about how time like, just keeps going. The teacher wants to talk about that, how when we want to slow it down, time goes fast. When we want to go fast, it slows down. We seem to have no control of time. And this week, we sort of focus on the third and final thing that the teacher wants to talk about, the third and final thing that frustrates him about reality and about life. And it's actually the thing we find out that frustrates him the most. And as we've been journeying through this book of Ecclesiastes, we've also found that there, we have a deep responsibility because of these things. We have a deep responsibility to be present and to enjoy life. So we're going to dig in uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 7 here first. And we're going to look at this third and final thing uh, that frustrates the teacher, and that is death. Okay? So uh, some of you are like, oh my gosh, I want to turn this off. You're watching online or you're in here and you're like, I had no idea what I was getting into. I think I want to leave. Let me just encourage you. We're going to get to some light here because like the same way it's to be afraid of death is to be afraid of life. Life and death are so closely tied. And so it's impossible for us to talk about death without talking about life. And so I think there's a lot of value. There's a lot of hope actually, I think, in what God has to say to us this morning. So try and uh, stay with me. I didn't wear any bright shoes. I wore really bright shoes the first week uh, digging in, but uh, just try and, uh, you know, hold on to a little hope uh, as we dig into some of this and get to some of the good stuff, get to some of the life, get to some of uh, the Jesus stuff that we're going to get to. So, but first, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, he says this, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. 
The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished, and never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Do you notice the teacher's frustration? It's really subtle. It's hard hard to pick up on, right? But if you pay close attention, you'll notice that the teacher isn't actually frustrated that like death exists as a reality. What he's frustrated about is that death exists for everyone. The fact that we're all lumped together in like this one fate, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, the sinner and the righteous, the people who take oaths and the people who are afraid to take oaths, everyone dies. That's what frustrates him. I love the way that the message puts these first few verses in Ecclesiastes 9. The message uh, says this. It says, well, I took all this in and thought it through, inside and out. And here's what I understood. The good, the wise, and all that they do are in God's hands. But day by day, whether it's love or hate they're dealing with, they don't know. Anything is possible. It's one fate for everybody, righteous and wicked, good people, bad people, the nice and the nasty, worshipers and non-worshippers, committed and uncommitted. I find this outrageous. The worst thing about living on this earth, that everyone's lumped together in one fate. Is it any wonder that so many people are obsessed with evil? Is it any wonder people go crazy right and left? Life leads to death. That's it. Welcome to church this morning. (laughs) Now, you'll notice, though, what he's getting at is this fact that we all experience the same thing. We're all lumped together in one fate. Why is this? Why is it that whether you're rich or you're poor, you're good or you're evil, you're happy or you're sad or you're an awesome success or you're a complete failure, we all die. This confuses, confounds the teacher because death seems to be the great equalizer, this great equalizer that we have no control of. Lucky for us, though, uh, the teacher doesn't stop there. The teacher kind of offers a response to this, this fact that we all die. But before we get there, I just want to acknowledge something, okay? Because when it comes to death, I know, I don't know where everyone's at with some of this stuff. Some of you, maybe uh, it, death feels like a distant reality, right? Like you may be younger or you may be even, even a little older, but death is not something that you really feel like you've tangibly experienced. It's not something that's shaped or formed your life in any significant way. It's not something that you feel as a personal like reality right now. It feels like a distant reality. And my hope and my prayer is that through the teacher's words in Ecclesiastes, through what God has to say to us through his word this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you're given a little bit of truth about death and the ability to empathize with others who have been shaped, who have been formed by what death uh, can do. But maybe you're over here. Like, death doesn't feel like a distant reality. Death feels like a close reality. It's something that you've tangibly experienced. It's something that's shaped and formed you. And maybe even, I'm aware, there might be some people who death feels like personally a close reality right now. And my hope and my prayer is that through the the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, through what God has to say to us this morning, that you might find, find solidarity and that you might find comfort and know that you are not alone. 
But wherever you're at this morning, whether you're here, whether you're there, whether you're somewhere in between, I want you to know that this message is for you. Because the truth is, death is something we all experience. And so what the teacher is saying about death, what the response is that he'll offer, and how Jesus sort of changes, uh, changes that and offers new light on that, all of this message, all of this message is for you. All right, so let's jump in to the last two verses of chapter 9, what the teacher sort of offers as a response here. He says, So go, with all this stuff, death is inevitable, right? It's something that we all experience. So he says in verse 7, so go. Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. He really wants to make sure you know your days are meaningless. (laughs) for this is your lot in your life and your toilsome labor under the sun. So the teacher says, listen, death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. So we have to just accept it. We have to be aware of it. We have to embrace it. And we have to enjoy life with the ones that we love. We have to eat bread. We have to drink wine or Coke or whatever delicious drink that you enjoy, right? With a merry heart. You got to dress festively with full colors and relish life with the spouse or the people that you love. Because each and every day of your life is a precious gift from God. In other words, what the teacher is saying is that if you let it, death can become the best opportunity of your life. What the teacher is saying is if you let it, death can become the best opportunity of your life. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Here's what I mean. Any of you guys have something that is like you reserve for like special occasions? Uh, so like some people I know uh, have like uh, China plates that are like specially reserved. Uh, for those of us under 30, China plates are a really fancy uh, set of like dishware that you only use twice a year or something like that. It's crazy. Uh, we didn't get uh, China plates, but a lot of people used to get them for the wedding. Nobody loves us that much, so we didn't get any for our wedding. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we were super blessed, but we just didn't want the China plates. But it's something that's reserved for like a special occasion, right? Or maybe you have a drink or uh, just maybe a tradition or a food that you eat or whatever it is that you sort of save for a special occasion. An example uh, for me, when I was a kid, my mom, uh, she made this thing called poppy seed chicken casserole. Has anyone ever had poppy seed chicken casserole? I didn't think so. Probably. All right, so we're from the Midwest, so we eat casseroles. That's kind of what you do. And my mom, she made this delicious poppy seed chicken casserole. It's got, you can see a picture of it. It's got this like creamy chicken stuff that I don't really want to talk about what's in it because I got a thing with creamy stuff, like cream cheese, sour cream, all that stuff. And all of that is in there. So I try not to think about it. I don't want to talk about that. But on top is a, a layer of Ritz crackers, which are already a buttered cracker. And you crush them up and you add more butter. And then you put poppy seed and you layer it and then you bake it. And out of it comes this crispy, like delicious casserole goodness okay now I loved this meal as a kid and my mom she started doing this thing and I what I don't know what the reason was I don't know maybe it's because she didn't like to make it all that much or maybe it was because my twin brother and I I have a twin and we share a birthday because that's what twins do you share a birthday and uh, we had to eat 
a birthday dinner that we both agreed on. And Logan and I, we both loved poppy seed chicken casserole. And we don't agree on a lot of stuff. So we would have poppy seed chicken once a year on our birthday. It was like our birthday dinner, okay? So September 27th rolls around, and I get home, and I can smell that poppy seed chicken baking in the oven, all right? It was like special thing for a special occasion. Uh, a current example, Olivia and I, we started this thing. We have some friends that do this, and we thought it'd be cool. We have this uh, for a special weekend, a weekend where we have, like, no plans. Like, our only plan is to have no plans. You know those weekends? They're the best. They're so good. And to, like, kick off those weekends, uh, what we do is we actually, like, p- drag our bed into our living room. Yeah, and we, like, drop it in the living room, and we turn our TV, and we turn on, like, eight movies. We get some, like, Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets, maybe, and we're popping those. We're eating way too much popcorn, and we're drinking, like, two two liters of Coke because we love that stuff, and we try to be disciplined, but sometimes you just got to cut loose. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, this is, like, a tradition that we sort of, like, kick off, like, a weekend of absolutely nothing, and it's awesome. It's sort of reserved for, like, a special occasion. Now, for some of you, it may be like a bottle of fine wine, right? Uh, Like Torin, I know a few weeks ago, as a sermon illustration, he lied to all of you, (laughs) which I would never do. But he brought up this really fancy looking bottle of wine, right? And And in it was Costco wine, but none of us knew that. And he said, here's this fancy bottle of wine that Brenda and I got for our wedding. And it was this wealthy couple. They gave it to us and it's worth more than a car, any car in Grand Rapids. And we all believed him, right? And we were like, well, how does he have this? Like, really? And, and then, and we, and we couldn't believe it. And we, what really freaked us out is when he started to open it, right? We were like, what is he doing? Like, we knew this dude was crazy, but what is he doing? And then we started to freak out even more when he started to pour it out. We're like, dude, he's telling us how he's saving it for his anniversary while he's pouring it out into a cup today. You're like, that's not going to be good if you try and put it back in the, cup, in the bottle. And then it really freaked us out when he kept pouring as the cup overflowed and he kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And we were freaking out like, why is he doing this? Why would he do this today? He said he's supposed to be waiting for some anniversary. Like Brenda's going to be so mad at him. Why is he doing this today? But I would ask you, why not today? Like today is today. That's kind of what's special about it. The truth is we don't have the present. The truth is we don't even have the future. All that we have is the present. All that we have is the now. And death, death reminds us of that. Death gives us this unique opportunity to live because life and death are so closely tied. You see, to to be afraid of death is to be afraid of life, but to embrace death and to accept death is to embrace, allows one to simply and freely embrace and enjoy life as it actually is. Not as it ought to be, not as we want it to be, not as we planned it to be, but as it actually is. It's kind of like that phrase uh, when you say something is to die for. You guys familiar with this phrase, right? I say it all the time, oh, it's like to die for. Like uh, Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich is to die for. It's better than Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich. And it's served on Sundays. Uh, It's so good, though. It's to die for, right? Like I say that all the time. Now, what we mean when we say something is to die for, we actually mean that it's to live for, right? Like it's so good. It's captivating. It's inspiring. It's amazing. It's worth living for because life and death are so closely tied. 
So the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he teaches us that life is short, it's vain, and at times it's meaningless, but it's also precious and full of wonder. It's to die for, like literally, (laughs) to die for, which automatically means it's to live for. It's worth enjoying. It's worth being present for. It's worth busting out the fine wine for. It's worth eating off the fancy china plates for. It's worth pulling out the bed into the living room and eating a completely unnecessary amount of popcorn and a completely unnecessary amount of Coke for. It's worth enjoying. It's worth being present for because it's all that we have. It's all that we have. Death reminds us of that. In this way, death provides this unique opportunity for us to live. But death is still death. Yeah, like it, it gives us this opportunity to like be present and be reminded that all we have is right now, right? But death is still death. It's something that many of us dread. It's nothing, it's something that many of us don't look forward to at all. It's not something that we're excited about. It still feels like a problem under the sun, right? This teacher in Ecclesiastes continues to use this phrase, under the sun. He keeps referring to life here on earth as under the sun. And under the sun, there's all these problems, all these points of frustration. We have all these desires under the sun that will not be met. So like everything is hevel and and it's chaos, but we want order. Or we want to control time, but we have no control under the sun of time. We have all these desires that won't be met under the sun. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes concludes, he says, all of our desires that we want to be met under the sun, they can't be met under the sun. They will only be met beyond the sun. What we know to be the kingdom of God. And Jesus, we've talked about how Jesus brings beyond the sun to under the sun. And so death is this problem under the sun. And it it comes with a desire. Like we don't want to die, right? And under the sun, we don't want to die. But beyond the sun... Jesus brings beyond the sun to under the sun and sort of changes the way that we experience death. And this is really unique because what we've seen in the past is what Jesus does by bringing beyond the sun to under the sun. Jesus kind of like takes away the other two things. So everything's hevel or it's chaos, right? Jesus brings shalom and says no more hevel, just gets rid of it. And time even, time, like we want to we control it, right? It, it frustrates us too fast when we want to go slow, too slow when we want to go fast. And Jesus says, well, in my kingdom, when I bring beyond the sun to under the sun, like I bring everlasting life, like time doesn't even matter anymore. Like he just gets rid of it. But with death, Jesus does something different. When Jesus brings beyond the sun to under the sun, he doesn't get rid of death. Instead, Jesus promises resurrection life. So instead of taking, you can't have resurrection if you don't have death. So instead of getting rid of death, Jesus says, I'm just going to change how you experience death. And so in changing how we experience death, the promise of resurrection life changes how we experience life. So I could talk about how Jesus defeats death and how we have hope and we have life, that death is not the final story for us that we have hope and that we have life, that we will have eternal life with Jesus. And all of that is true. All of that matters for when we die. All of that matters for after we die. But where we get it twisted is that we, we don't recognize a lot of the time that resurrection life actually matters for now. Like Jesus offers resurrection life right now, not for when we die, not after we die. Jesus offers resurrection life right now. 
Resurrection life doesn't matter for just after we die. It matters for now. And Torrin shared a quote last week uh, by a guy named Dr. Ian Proven that I thought was so good. I wanted to share it again because it just gets at the center of what we're trying to, to get at this week and really at the center of what we're trying to get at throughout this entire series in, in, in Ecclesiastes. It says this, The resurrection itself is not primarily an idea about the future. It is a summons to live faithfully in the present. You see, part of what it means to be authentically and fully human, to live like Jesus, part of what it means to live the resurrection life, to be, to be changed and transformed by Jesus is to live faithfully in the present. Jesus lived this way. Like Jesus was never back then. He was never up there. He was never in the past. He was never in the future. He was always in the present. Jesus was constantly and faithfully living in the present. And you can't live that way without death. Because you can't live that way without the hope and the promise of resurrection life. And you don't need resurrection life if you don't have death. You see, death gives us this unique opportunity to live that Jesus just like multiplies and transforms and changes. Jesus knew that he was going to die. Everyone say that with me. Jesus knew he was going to die. I don't think that a lot of us, like, we think about that. But the truth is that Jesus was human, right? And hum being human, death sort of comes with the territory. So Jesus knew that at some point, he was going to have to endure death. And it wasn't something he was excited about. That's the truth. Like many of us, we're not excited about death. Jesus was not excited necessarily about his death. It says even in, the, even in the Bible, a few days before his death and betrayal, before he knew his time had come, his death was coming, the Bible says he was sorrowful even to death. His soul was sorrowful even to death. Like he was so upset. He was so heavy. Death was not something he looked forward to. It even says he asked the Father to, to let this cup pass from him. Jesus was not excited about his death. Jesus knew that he was going to die, but he also knew, and this is so important, he knew that death was not the final story. And his embrace of this, his awareness of this, his acceptance of this is part of what I believe allowed Jesus to live so fully present to the moment. So if you read the Gospels, you just like pick up on this aura of Jesus. Like Jesus can be walking around and there's a crowd full of people and someone can just like tug on Jesus' shirt or tug on like Jesus' pants or his cloak or whatever and Jesus stops and he notices that one person. He looks them in the eye, he has a conversation with them. It's like that one person is the only person that exists in a crowd full of people. You see, Jesus just seemed to live with this knowledge that every single moment that he was in was a truly unique phenomenon. That the exact like interrelated web of people and places and events that had sort of come together, they would never come together again in the history of the entire universe. And Jesus seemed to just like be aware of this. He was so fully present to the moment. I think there's a, a story in the book of John uh, chapter 12 that just beautifully illustrates this. I kind of want to close with this this morning. You see, in the book of John chapter 12, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has just been raised from the dead. And so they're having a meal together. They're celebrating, right? Lazarus was dead. Now he's alive. There's cause for celebration. And Lazarus is there. Some friends are there. His sisters, Mary and Martha, they're there. And Jesus is there, and they're celebrating. It's this warm-hearted, tender meal. You can only imagine how, like, sweet, sweet this moment was, right? 
And in this uh, sweet moment, Mary, one of Lazarus' sisters, and Mary, a follower of Jesus, she does something radical. Check it out. In John chapter 12, verse 1 to 7, it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, saying, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, but you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You see, Jesus and Mary are deeply present to the moment here. They have a profound awareness that death is not the final story, but that death will come and death is coming soon. And this awareness of this, this embrace of this, this acceptance of this is what allows them to live so fully present in the moment in a way that few can. Mary and Jesus both embody the faithful presence that accompanies resurrection life. They have the, the here-ness that comes with a life in Jesus. And here's what I mean. This takes place six days before the Passover. So Jesus knows that his death is getting closer and closer and closer. And he's been talking about it more and more and more. And Mary has picked up on this. And Mary has become aware that Jesus' death is getting really close. And she saved up a bunch of money to buy this perfume to use for Jesus after he dies. It was a tradition you would, you would uh, preserve the body by putting perfume. And that would help preserve the body and the smell. And the more important someone was, the more expensive the perfume was. And Mary has saved up a bunch of money to buy a burial perfume fit for a king. But she uses it now. This perfume is worth 300 denarii, or, uh, which at the time would have been like someone a year's wage for someone. So for our imaginations today, we can imagine that this a bottle of perfume is worth at least a million dollars. I'm just kidding. None of you make a million dollars in a year, do you? If you do, hit me up. Let's get lunch, okay? <laughs> no, but it, it's a year's wait. So we can at least imagine that this bottle of perfume is worth $20,000, at least. That's easy. We can say that. And so Mary's been saving up. She has this bottle of perfume. It's worth $20,000. And it's meant, it's supposed to be used for after Jesus dies, for his burial. That's when it's supposed to be used. But Mary chooses to use it now. And Jesus knows that this burial perfume, what it's meant for. Jesus knows that it's supposed to be used after he dies. It's supposed to be used up there. But Jesus also knows he has hope. He has the promise of resurrection life. Jesus knows he's going to raise again from the dead. And he's going to be celebrating with his friends. And you're like, well, why wouldn't he choose to use it then at least? If he's not going to use it for his burial, then why not use it when you've risen again from the dead, man? Like put that stuff in the air like some essential oil stuff and just like have that room smelling awesome while you're celebrating the fact that you've raised again from the dead, right? 
But Jesus chooses to use it now. He allows Mary to use it now to shower her Lord with adoration, with a burial perfume fit for a king at his feet now, in this moment. I think it's because Jesus and Mary, they're both, they're both deeply aware they've embraced, they've accepted the reality of death, of what is to come. But they've also deeply embraced, they've become aware, they've accepted of the promise that they have and the hope that they have and the resurrection life and the kingdom of God that is coming. And it's this, both of these things that allows them to be so deeply and faithfully present in the moment. And I think that's what Jesus wants from some of us. Like Jesus wants us to just live in this moment. We don't have to take a $20,000 bottle of perfume and like give it to somebody. But Jesus wants to say, hey, today is today. That's what's special about it. You have a responsibility to enjoy and to be present, to live faithfully present in the moment. Each moment that you're in is this unique phenomenon. It hasn't happened and it will never happen again. Like where you're at right now is special. That's what Jesus does. Under the sun, everyone dies. Death is this great equalizer, right? And it's, it's this thing that, that we don't look forward to. And, but with Jesus, and Jesus bringing beyond the sun to under the sun, we're given the hope and the promise of resurrection life. And that promise of resurrection life, it changes things. It changes how we experience death. It changes, it matters for when we die, it matters for after we die, but it also changes how we experience life. The resurrection life, it, it uh, doesn't just matter for after we die, it matters for now. It doesn't just change how we die, it changes how we live. And so all of a sudden with, Je with Jesus, death can become the best opportunity of our life. Death becomes this constant call to be present and to enjoy. Life becomes worth, not just worth dying for, life becomes worth living for. We're called to be present and it's worth pulling out the, cow, the bed into the living room and watching movies and eating popcorn and drinking Coke. It's worth uh, eating the food off the fancy china plates. It's worth eating or pulling out the $20,000 bottle of perfume, right? Because life is not just worth dying for, life is also worth living for. Jesus came to die, right? And everyone talks about that, but Jesus also came to live. Like if Jesus just came to die, he would have just been born and then boom, died. That's it, right? But Jesus lived for 33 years before he died. Like Jesus came, as much as Jesus came to die, Jesus came to live and he wants that same life for us. That same life for us that, that embraces and accepts death with the hope and the promise of resurrection life that doesn't just change how we experience death, it changes how we experience life. And so each week we, we have an application, right? All this stuff is like pretty heavy. It can be kind of uh, sad. It can, be, uh, it, can, it can just be a, a little, uh, it can be a bit of a downer. But, but with, in light of Jesus, it kind of changes everything. And we're called to just be present and to enjoy. And so each week we're kind of giving you like the easiest homework ever uh, where we just ask this in this next coming week to enjoy something, to be present and to enjoy something. And this serves for us as a reminder that like we're not in control, but that we have the opportunity and that we have the responsibility to be present and to enjoy. And so what I'd like for each of us to do this week is I'd like each of us to find our perfume. 
What's that thing that we save for a special occasion, that meal or that drink or uh, that tradition that is really reserved for a special moment in the year or in the month or whatever it is. It's a special occasion, and I want you to use it now. I want you to do it now. Now, if you're like saving a bottle of wine for your 50th anniversary or something, I'm not saying that you have to use it, although I'm not saying you don't have to use it, okay? But find that special thing and enjoy it now, like this week. That's your, that's your homework. So whatever it is, it's a special meal, drink tradition, whatever it is, I want you to enjoy it this week because the special occasion is now. And while you're doing that, I want you to just acknowledge how deeply present you are to the moment. I want you to just soak it in. So to help you do this, we have a prayer that I want you to just snap a picture of right on your phone, right on your hand, whatever it is. Um, while you're enjoying this thing this week, whatever it is, while you're enjoying this thing, I want you to pray this simple prayer. God, thank you for my life today. I choose to be present and enjoy today with whatever that is, right? Whatever your tradition, drink, you know, whatever it is. You say that, and then you enjoy. You be present. You put down your phone. You look at the people around you. You soak it in, this moment, this unique phenomenon that is around you. You're present, and you enjoy. Faithfully uh, present in the moment, like Jesus. Sound good? Awesome. All right, will you pray with me really quick? God, I, uh, I want to take the, uh, just the opportunity right now for everyone to just like become aware of uh, our, the fact that we're alive. Like our hands can move and we can feel our, our body breathing and uh, we can feel our weight sitting in the chair. All of this, just the sensation of being alive. And God, we're aware that death is a reality. That death is something that overtakes us all. But God, we praise you for the opportunity that it provides for us to live. And the way that, that Jesus, your son Jesus, comes and he defeats death and he promises resurrection life. And God, that doesn't just change how we experience death, but it changes how we experience life. And so would you help us, God? Would you help us be present? Would you help us enjoy? Would you help us with the tough task of embracing, accepting death so that we can be free to simply enjoy life, to be present and to enjoy? And as we go this week, would you help us to, to find that one thing, that, that bottle of perfume, uh, let's say, that, that we can pour at your feet, that we can just acknowledge that you are worth it, that you are worth living for, you're worth enjoying. You have given us so many gifts, God. Help us enjoy those gifts uh, this week. We love you so much. Uh, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray these things, God. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.